I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Usually writes a thing first before they... I was laughing because I forgot what, I, what, what, what comes after I count down. <laughs> Saying my own name. <laughs> I also usually <laughs> circle something in my notes. I'm like, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing I'm going to say. The line. And then I didn't actually... I was like, nah, that'll... This is like, uh, if you hear the RoboCop episode, uh, you're like, oh, they took a long break and they had their shit together. <laughs> this this kind of reveals RoboCop was recorded before our break. Uh, yeah. Um, that was. I, the- I forgot my name and we forgot to write a thing. So what do you got, Peter? Go quick, we're burning air. This is live uh, pe- radio. We love to watch knows that people blow up all the time. <laughs> Great line. Some people try to pick up girls, get called an asshole. This never happened to Pablo Picasso. Why, he could walk down the street. Girls could not resist his stare. Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Now I do. Hey! That was seamless. That was classy. Man, you know, it's uh, it's always it. fun when I forget the basics of something I've been doing for five plus years. Uh, yeah, we've been doing it for a while. Here's the fun thing, you know, um, I don't know about if you know about this thing. Like, it's uh, when you do something, it takes 10,000 hours to get much worse at something. <laughs> Because really, you're not at 10,000 hours. This is a true theory, Peter. You can look it up. At 10,000 hours... Uh, you aren't trying anymore. You are not putting in the effort because you're coasting. You're yeah. aware of uh, the, the definition of coasting. So about 10,000 hours is where, as the theory goes, I think this was uh, the theory from Ian Malcolm, character in Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. um, it, everything starts to fall apart. Uh, yeah. Uh, the dinosaurs only lived for about 20,000 hours. They spent about 10,000 hours um, really thriving, you know. Um, really going at it. And then they got lazy. You know, you can't be, uh, you know, king of the Jurassic for, for that long. Yeah, I mean, it's all part of, it all connects to that, connects to uh, Fermi's paradox, where it's like, why aren't there other life? Uh, you know, why isn't there aliens on other planets? Well, it's because about 10,000 hours, those aliens, they just get really tired of trying to reach out to Earth. They, they give sleepy. up. They, they give up. Sleepy. And they're like, you know what? Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe this trip isn't worth it. But you know which aliens... Uh, did make it all the way to Earth. The one in the movie we're going to talk about the today. Earth girls are easy. They also made it to Earth. Um, the eighties were visited by many aliens of varying levels of horniness. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came to Earth, if you know what I mean. Those those dudes, probably chill dudes, probably a, a movie that holds up really well mm-hmm. from a sexual politics perspective. <laughs> they and, like, and that hey, Jim Carrey is a sex object in that movie. Uh, Jim, yeah, Jim Carrey was the hot one. <laughs> Ru- old rubber face himself. I don't have any jokes. That's just the truth. It's the truth in the movie. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fact. I'm just, I'm just reporting it's science facts fact. But yeah, there's also aliens in the movie we're going to cover today on We Love to Watch. What is We Love to Watch? It's a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. We know that we're off months a little bit. But don't worry. It'll all come out in the wash. We have a very intricate 
plotted equation that's going to get us back to themes within a, cal- a, a typical Julian calendar month. Is that what our calendar is? Is it Julian or is it the other one? <laughs> Gregorian? Or, or is it, do we have Gregorian? I don't know. Who knows what calendar we have? Call in, folks. Uh, call in, tell us. There's only two, and uh, we're not 100% uh, sure. It's either Julian. I feel like it's Julian because I think the two inserted months were July and August after Julius Caesar, and so that's why it's the Julian. But I'm also now suspicious that, like, Gregor... The Gregorian calendar is the calendar we all use today. God damn it. See, because oh, that's, that's a later that's a later sounding name. Uh, right? This article was posted in uh, October of 1581. Oh, so you can't. You don't know if that's still yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, I mean, you got to Snopes that. <laughs> Man, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get really, uh, a lot of monks are going to write in this month. I think they're going to be like, how dare you? Yeah. We, we worked, we did two things. We didn't have sex with anyone and we added two months to the calendar. We, how dare you? Some big, uh, Pope Gregory, the 13th stands are going to write in. Oh, see, that's the business. thing. Look, I take the Catholic church is not a good organization, folks. And I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going to tell me what day it is, Wait, right? With all their scandals? Dumb, I don't like... think so. Aaron, I, I, listen, listen. I blame a lot of my stupidity on various things, but I have yet to uh, blame it on the um, corruption of the Catholic Church. <laughs> I don't think so. That's what I'm saying, Peter. It, it, it's corunde for me. It's usually like I had too many beers or uh, I have ADHD or uh, I wasn't there that century. Uh, I have never uh, once been like, mm, I don't know how to do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what a um, a factorial is because uh, the Catholic Church. Look, Peter, I'm not going to blame it all on millenniums of corruption by the Catholic Church, but didn't help <laughs> certainly didn't help uh if anyone was taking us seriously before they certainly are not right back to yeah. where we should be yes uh but where we love to watch ostensibly a movie podcast like i said and we're in we're in our fuck ronald reagan month and i i just want to we say this every week it's important to underline to circle it to highlight it to draw arrows pointing at it, put check marks by it. I've run out of examples. Mm-hmm. The month, the theme of the month, the movies we're doing this month, Peter. You know this. I'm just going to say it because you're the person here that I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Their theme is fuck Ronald Reagan. That's what the movies are saying. Separately and in parallel to that, the position of Aaron and Peter, host of the show, is also... Oh, my God. Fuck Ronald Reagan. So bad. Yeah. And I want to make it very clear that um, the positions that Alex Cox, uh, for instance, the director of Repo Man, holds um, do not uh, uh, necessarily align with ours. They just do unequivocally. Yes. This is this is our third uh, Ronald Reagan sucks. uh, Fuck Ronald Reagan movie. Um, What's kind of interesting is. Going off the main themes of the movie, we've kind of tapped into a lot of the themes of this movie in previous episodes about how Ronald Reagan's uh, 
anti-union and uh, pro-deregulation stances uh, made being a working class American even harder than it already fucking was. Yeah. How the capitalist dream was a lie held out uh, in front of our faces. Uh, how uh, Reagan's teaming up with the religious right and televangelists um, caused yep. um, Mer- Americans to get grifted even further. Well, we <laughs> kind of noted actually in the, the They Live in the Robocop episode that the religion component wasn't too prevalent, but we we had noted that obviously Reagan took like this like hyper-capitalism and zero regulation and a disdain for the working class and stuff like that, and then combined it with like fundamentalism and, you know, well, it's not just like God wants you to to... to cheat your workers because mm-hmm. uh, the prosperity gospel is like that so this this one does tap into that i actually peter i i actually like that i do think that this i mean hits some of the the anti or the the capitalist anti-worker themes because that i mean how can you have a fuck reagan movie that doesn't i mean if we're if i was a third grader and i wanted to show how much ronald reagan was in love with capitalism i would draw like a picture of capitalism on one thumb and then a picture of ronald reagan on the other thumb and i would smooch those thumbs together and make kissing noises peter because that's how much ronald reagan loved capitalism but one of those thumbs is a woman and one is a man right uh, I mean, if it's Reagan approved, it would have to be. I'm just saying, if you went to a very, he was very anti-gay too. I mean, all around, just like one of those people that you walk around going, "I don't believe in hell, but I wish it existed for him." <laughs> yeah, um, I really wish uh, that the torment nexus existed purely for people like Ronald Reagan and his ilk. Yeah, um, the one. So th- plus, plus, because I think he'd be so s- surprised. Yeah, because, and I, I think that also, like, even if it wasn't eternal, just like a good maybe ten to twenty years of just like, oh, aren't these the pearly gates? I hope it's not my Alzheimer's that has made me for, forget the color and the the heat temperature it's supposed to be. And the devil's <laughs> like, nope, sorry, you were way off. There you go what? again, Lucifer. Yeah, this that most people don't come down here because in. In the the hell fantasy that the narrator of this story is saying, uh, hell's act, the, the concept of torturing people for eternity from a merciful God is really shitty. Mm-hmm. But for you, Reagan, we open the place back up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you but, are in for it, young so man. So the the one Reagan rant I want to sneak in this week actually has to do more with uh, a, a a future Alex Cox movie that cleanly would have fit in this month. Um, maybe more so. Called Which Walker. One? I have not seen Walker. This that's the movie he does right after Sid and Nancy. Yeah, so he had a little bit of studio cachet to completely blow up. Um, so Walker is specifically about American colonialism in uh, Nicaragua and, and in South and Central America um, during the 1800s. And what he's doing is paralleling that with, uh, Iran-Contra and particularly the, uh, horrendous, horrendous abuse that Ronald Reagan exhibited on the Nicaraguan people. Um, and this movie has, uh, hints at that. It's, it's, it's in newsreels as like something fucked up and horrifying happening in the background of this sort of like modern dystopia. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely want to leave a little bit of space and maybe even force space in here to talk about how, Ronald Reagan 
one of the greatest monsters to walk this planet, uh, forced, tried to force capitalism down the throats of a country that ha- was having fair elections uh, via a, uh, <laughs> essentially military jackboot thugs that went around with explicit orders by the CIA to kill civilians. Sandinista or not. And this movie has has this operating sort of at the periphery. And what's interesting is that someone who contributed mu- music to this movie um, and uh, would work with Alex Cox for um, mo- most of the rest of his own career, um, Joe Strummer, um, was also one of uh, one of the more public pro-Sandinista, anti-Contra um, uh, figures. Are you in, sure in that Joe Strummer was pro-Sandinista? Um, I, I don't know. I haven't listened to Combat Rock in six months, but... Let's... Oh, what about the album before Combat Rock? Um, it's called take, it's called Sandinista. Let me take a little look. I thought it was sandwiches or neat neato. Oh yeah, if you if you pull out the the the, the insert, <laughs> it unfolds into that. But he but yeah, designed so like, it so the, it was it was like the real name of the album because a very punk thing to do. The real name of the album was Sandwiches or Neato, but he coded it in the record store to sandinista when you you know push it all back together oh yeah yeah yeah. um man it was so cool what you could do with physical media back joe strummer was the ashton kutcher of his day from a prank <laughs> perspective and in that case he was a punk in this in this in this analogy <laughs> do you get it was peter? zach braff on, peter the peter do you get it yeah because he was a punk punked uh, in this case, was Zach Braff, uh, the Contras, and uh, that kid that fake spray painted his car, um, the people of Nicaragua? Yes. Who who was the Donald Faison of this situation? Manuel <laughs> Noriega? <laughs> I know it's a whole different thing, but... I mean, Donald Faison in that particular didn't do much in relation to the situation at <laughs> he hand. He was just like, this is a he lot, was just, guys. He was just in the same area, also a part of a thing. So, I, I mean, that kind of works. Mm-hmm. Also, like, I think we've talked about it on a couple episodes before, but I, I do want to be clear that Zach Braff thought a kid messed up his car and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Chased him down and punched him repeatedly until the punk producers pulled him off him. Chris. And you know how we know this? It's not a conspiracy theory. Zach Braff talks about it and somehow everyone just goes, oh, crazy. Because it didn't air on TV, right? It did not. No, it it shows him like running after him and then like a shot of him on top of him and then pulling him off. There's not that much of a like, you know, normally there's like Ashton Kutcher coming out. It's like a quick slap on the back and then it like cuts. So like there's a lot. I remember seeing it and feeling like it was weirdly cut short when it aired, like originally. And then it was like, yeah, 10 years later that like Zach Braff revealed the story to the world about how he beat the shit out of a 12 year old kid. That kid, he probably came out when he was like, and that kid just graduated college. And that kid? My girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> now ex girlfriend. Now ex girlfriend. Ex ex girlfriend. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the movie has. Um, through lines through all of punk uh punk history in the la <clears throat> the la scene but alex cox is an interesting figure because he is though he's british he left england 
around when uh, the like Sex Pistols era of punk, the Sex Pistols like wave of punk was taking yeah. off. He never saw them live. They never actually made it to L.A. before breaking up. And yeah, they broke uh, up in like Texas on the way to L.A. Yeah, so he, uh, him making Sid and Nancy was more about uh, his his that he had built up some cachet with with studios, yes, but um, that uh, he knew the punk scene and could pitch it from that perspective, and people knew that he could speak to that without it seeming phony. Yeah, well, here's the thing too. I what was interesting about this, like, so we we've kind of covered like. So John Carpenter, They Live, which is really, like, I think the best from, like, a, like, probably Peter R. political alignment. Like, you know, super, like, union-focused, super, like, worker and anti-racism and, like, anti-the like anti anti-science. Like, you really kind of tapped into a lot of both, I think, the, the Reagan era, but also with a politics that is at home with, like, modern day american you know democratic socialists or you know communist or whatever else and he he still kind of aligns well with that and robocop is really tackling you know the police state the war on drugs that kind of stuff that's kind of part of uh you know uh, leftist politics uh today what was interesting about watching this movie is that and i love this movie but it it I always I thought it like fits well as almost a, a different example from the the other two movies and also from Brazil, which is definitely um, has like a 80s conservative, you know, especially about the the capitalism and bureaucracy and the ridiculousness of corporations and all the stuff we're going to talk about next week. This one has, I always thought, a more like fuck off to the concept of government. It was it felt less of a leftist screed and more of an um uh you know a, a left anarchist type type view of like everything is 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 stupid and dumb and when aimed at the reagan era and reagan era politics it's aiming at the right stuff that you shouldn't trust the government because you shouldn't trust ronald reagan's government and you shouldn't trust you know uh your parents and you shouldn't trust religion and you shouldn't trust all that like when that is aimed right it 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 ends up being for the most part good politics when it's when you're when when that is your philosophy and it's not like a i don't know a sniper rifle or a something that's actually targeted as more of a, a shotgun blast that's where i think you you actually come to a, a form of politics that ends up aligning more with Reagan's predecessors like a Donald Trump and current GOP than you do um, uh, than you do like leftist politics. And what was interesting, so I, I had that feeling watching this movie that like I wouldn't be surprised watching this if the people that aligned with this movie and loved Repo Man or, or loved their politics or even the people that made it like an Alex Cox had had moved into the kind of like Glenn Greenwald type leftists that are pro-Trump and pro like all these other things because they're trying to demolish the US government and he and that's ultimately what you know Glenn 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 Greenwald wants. He doesn't want America to be successful. He wants it to be not successful. And so someone like a Donald Trump and uh is is good for him. Yeah. Uh, Accelerationist. Uh, yeah, exactly. So what was interesting is so I looked up Alex Cox's recent politics because I'm like, this feels like something that you and I have talked about with my dad in, in particular, who hated Reagan, who was a Jimmy Carter, and through Reagan started hating the government. And hate, you know, he had been a Jimmy Carter supporter and thought the government could do good when you know it was in the Peace Corps. And then um 
you know, Reagan really made him anti-government, but he wasn't anti-like government that government had no place. He was anti-Reagan's government and what they were doing and stuff like that. But somehow now he like assigns with hyper-conservatism because even though they're the same people that destroyed the government that he loved, they're the ones that are saying the government sucks, which is where he aligned to, which is kind of what I've said to you about Ghostbusters, too. I think Ghostbusters is an anti-Reagan film, and when you look at it through the modern prism of government bureaucracy and stuff like that, it feels like a right-wing film. I think that's the same for this movie, and when I looked at Alex Cox's current politics, Peter, I don't know if you did that, but he believes 9-11 was fake. He believes Pearl Harbor was fake. He think uh, he's he said some things about COVID being fake and some of the, you know, he is very much in that like QAnon adjacent conspiracy well. And I well, as much as that sucks, it was weird that when I watched this movie, that like I was like, I would not be shocked if he's a pro-Trump supporter, because that kind of fuck the government, everything's stupid. I just want to you know, drink with my friends and have fun, but the man's forcing me to get a job. Again, when aimed at Ronald Reagan is a good sentiment. When aimed at the general concept that, like, you know, a society and helping fellow people and all that kind of stuff, it turns into, I think, uh, you know, QAnon or right-wingers who are not buying into the religious fundamentalism aspect, but are leaning into like the the libertarian side of ultra right-wingism yeah but this is something that we that people keep discovering on particularly young people keep discovering on twitter like they keep walking into the same rake over and over again which is thinking that like anarchists and socialists can get along yeah and it's like yeah when trump's in office both of the true anarchists and true socialists fucking you know they've got a common enemy right but then you get exactly you get joe biden in office and like socialists are like you know, I don't know. Some of them are like, we we need to make him better. We need to continually put the pressure on for him to guide in that direction. And anarchists are like, no, fuck this guy, just like we fucked the last guy. Um, and and I'm I, I'm I am I consider myself a, a a social like a democratic socialist, but like um, I, I I can agree with kind of both those positions at times. Um, this movie comes from an anarchist perspective, and anarchists very often because it's so frustrating to live as an yeah. anarchist, they end up adopt end up adopting fascist or conspiracy based yes um positions uh once um <laughs> once enough time has passed or the right pressures have, have aligned with them or the world yeah. has gotten kooky enough with them and like green room has a gr- we talked about the great green room throwaway line where they say um you know that like the the nazi hangout was home to the to the ultra left and ultra right which essentially become the same thing which yeah. is true yeah and like you you once you once you and it's not even like a horseshoe theory thing right it's like it, it, it's it's just that like um these frustrations at um the the systems at hand can often like lead you into um made you make you convenient bedfellows or convenient marks um of uh these conspiracy theorist types i mean a lot of people that are truth wars alex jones types um started out like started out as leftists frustrated yeah. leftists yeah yep. yeah and it, it, it's it, it um and and you know that's because social change and true 
true action um, is very difficult and it's time consuming and it's slow and sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back and sometimes it's, you know, it's fucking frustrating because we live in a fundamentally fascist country and like fascist to its bones. Yeah, when you live through like Nixonian era politics and Reagan era politics and like CIA and, you know, J. Edgar, like all these people that did, you know, considerable damage to to the american institute like liberal institution you just end up you know again like my dad's a perfect example like he started life thinking wanted to be part of a government that could help people inspired by like martin luther king and rfk and even you know jfk and there was an aspirationalness to what the the message they were selling about how american society and our lives could be better by by working together and again Democrat, there's no such thing as a good president. All presidents have committed terrible crimes, war crimes, and should probably all be in jail. But, you know, the message was different. It was about, like, there was, like, civil rights were aspirational. Like, you know, gay rights were, like, those were all things that, that even though a lot of people hemmed and hawed on the action to do it, but there was, like, a general consensus among some of those figures that, like, we should be moving towards... Uh, you know, a safer future, a better future, a more equal future and all that kind of stuff. And so like that, that feeling that government can do good can easily turn into, oh, I have now seen, you know, 20 years of horribleness. The government is bad. And now I'm aligning with the people who are saying the government is bad, even though like you can draw a straight line that the people who are saying the government is bad are the people who are actively working hard to make it bad. I actually, this is the stickiest movie we'll watch all month by far. Um, Even though I think it's uh, thematically much simpler. It's much more of a thematic middle finger. And that has its place, right? I love this movie. Like I do too, yeah. Um, It has its place. Love a good middle finger movie. But it's, it's thematically sticky because it's hard sometimes to... Um, follow as a um, movies as an empathy machine, right? Because um, the movie that it most reminded me of, and I texted you about this earlier, was uh, Sorry to Bother You. Um, Not just because... No, it's okay that you texted me earlier. um, It's not... um, But yeah, I I needed to text you earlier and I texted you, Sorry to Bother You. No, it's Um, fine. I mean, you can ignore texts really easily. Wait, you ignore my text? I mean, I mean if I'm doing if I'm doing something you, else, like you know, anything. But I thought you liked sorry to bother you. I mean, I, I don't I like being bothered, you. even if it comes with an apology. <laughs> but you like sorry to bother you more than I like sorry to bother you. So maybe I I it didn't even make my top ten of the year. Yeah, I love sorry to bother you. The movie. Wait, sorry. Stop apologizing in the middle of this. You're not bothering me. I love we to be bothering you. Additional. <laughs> um, no, I, I like I like Sorry to Bother You. Um, it didn't hit me the same way it hit most of the people that are probably listening that love the movie. But uh, I want to say, uh, draw a comparison between the two. Because I was like, what movie has <clears throat> this sort of political, political fire? Obviously... Actually, I, I think even Walker is easier to parse, maybe. I haven't seen it in a very long time, close to 20 years. But I think Walker is, is a little bit par- easier to parse as an empathy machine because you know that 
Um, this guy is just like a colonialist monster, and that's like part of the deal. Um, and this, it's 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 much tougher, similar to Sorry to Bother You, because it is a movie about someone, to use a punk parlance, selling out. It's about someone who, who has no prospects and is in a tight spot and ends up the only job prospects they can find are... Um, doing a demoralizing, dehumanizing, and very, like, emotionally tough job. Um, in this case, uh, Repo Man and in Sorry to Bother You, it's, he's selling some shit over the phone, right? He's not in he's a, he's a telemarketer at first. He's a telemarketer. But, yeah, everyone, everyone tells people him people shit they don't need, basically. For selling right? out, yeah. Yeah. And um, both of them end up getting corrupted by that, that little system because there's a thrill in success, right? So Danny Glover takes... Um, I forget the main character's name, um, but Danny Glover takes the main character <laughs> under his wing and says, "Like, do do a I think, his, I think his first name is Sorry. That's why. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's like Sorry, comma to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the Danny Glover teaches him how to do the the uh, white the white guy voice or whatever, and then in this, uh, Harry Dean Stanton takes. Um, takes auto under his, his wing bud takes auto under, under his wing and sort of uh trains him like how to get away with this job a little easier you wear a suit you kind of look like a square you know yeah. people maybe think you're a cop or a private eye and like all these other he's got like one or two other mentors that kind of guide him along his path so, yeah like, everyone um, has a code to give them their yes. tricks and their tips and, yeah. and they've got the repo man code um and and him sort of at first being like fuck that like that's not that's against my political compass um, and him having friends specifically both of the lead characters in those movies having friends that are outside and more of a punk anarchist or, or socialist background, someone who, who would find this this sort of work abhorrent, uh, giving them shit about it. But they're like, hey, but like, you know, Otto's like, hey, I'm driving around cool cars. I'm actually making money. And like my job is like steal cars. And that's like exciting. It's like a thrill ride. And sorry to bother you. It's about like the financial incentives of climbing this like corporate ladder. Right. He yep. goes from like an account manager to a general manager to, you know, he gets promoted to selling better shit. Yep. Um, and like that sort of uh, that sort of uh, uh, admittance from the beginning of the movie that um, all, all consumption under capitalism is unethical and um, all capitalism is theft um, is uh, that, no, that no one is really above it. Um, and then we watch a character sell out does make the movies a little stickier to handle because uh, typically so think, we like to see people like make, eat, make, you know, like understandable mistakes and then grow out of it. Instead in both of these movies, as the movie goes on, they kind of get seduced into it, but there's no like, they're, so, they're, they're redeemed in the end, but there's like, the, the point is that like they get sucked into the system. They, they, they go on the thrill ride, but like the point at the end of the movie is not like they're redeemed. They got out of the system. The end of both of the movies kind of feels like, um, so like, like shit, the system sucks. We need to find a way out of the system itself. Yeah. So I, I actually think like, I think dude, first of all, it's a fantastic comparison. I think you're dead on. Like, I, I can't believe that that, that didn't click with me. Cause I also think the, the, the sense of humor and the oh, yeah. layering on the maximum maximalism of the plot and the like, you know, hyper reality, but not real reality where like things happen that don't, that are close to what would happen in the real world, but are also like slightly, slightly um, misaligned from reality. I think that like tone and tenor, I, I would actually be like, I think if you ask Boots Riley, if, 
if Repo Man was an influence on Sorry to Bother You, he'd probably I would be surprised if he didn't say yes. I do think though that you're you're I do think they end very differently because you're right that like which again is very much almost the libertarian Randian ending that happens in this movie, right? Like he's like, never mind, fuck this, I'm out of here. And he goes to another planet. Like unsavable, things are only getting messier. I couldn't win outside of the system. I couldn't win in the system. I'm literally, you know, leaving the planet and uh, and and leaving you know anyone else besides Bud behind. Effectively, um, where I actually think the difference between that and Sorry to Bother You is that he keeps rising higher and higher, only to find out that he is still viewed ultimately as a cog in the cat it doesn't matter that he's their best producer it doesn't matter he's a great salesman it doesn't matter he's now getting invited to all the the parties but he's still not one of the club he's still seen as a you know a a both a both a uh, poor person and a black person who uh they can uh can exploit now in a different way even though he, you know, he's, he, and, and so he gets, you know, I don't want to spoil, sorry to bother you if you haven't seen it somehow, but he, you know, he finds out eventually that he has not risen above the system to take advantage of it like he thought he was and left his friends behind. He is still very much a part of the system that is getting exploited. And then he kind of eventually leads a revolution against that to, to, he has to get basically to the point of like total body exploitation I'm, I'm walking around it in order for him to re, to to kind of fight back against that so i do that's think a really th- good point actually but like the the funny thing is that now i'm thinking about it and like that actually makes it a better comparison point because fucking Otto gets snatched up by the rebels and he doesn't give a shit about the rebels he nope. barely gives a shit about bud he does he doesn't like yeah. he, he wants the payday on the car oh yeah uh, and at the end of the movie at the end of the movie of sorry to bother you he's like you know i did fuck up <laughs> and he tries to make better for it yeah and they so yeah. in like a climactic like revolutionary third yeah. act where it's just fucking chaos everywhere and the yeah. government is fucking clowns getting like stomped on at, at certain times and doing their own stomping but like um you're right that's the, that is the key difference is that like sorry to bother you is about like the power of 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 uh civil of uh, 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 you'll never rise above your station in a capitalist system because yeah there's always someone else to exploit you and so even if you think you've become part of the uh exploiters and, and again there's also the the racial component you know about that too where it's like even you know where where he's not just saying like also people that like as a black man in you know this country or in the world that like you will never rise a- enough above your station for them to consider you one of them so there's that but he does he does eventually decide to like try to enact uh change which is what to to your point his his friends weren't anarchist punks that wanted to blow stuff up they were like you know hardcore leftist socialists fighting for better equal rights for worker and against capitalism so i think i do think the broad strokes line up really well and again i think that tonally they're very similar but it is it is the difference between like fuck the system there's no point to change everything's fucked up and at the end i'm going to leave to to 
you cannot beat capitalism at, at its own game. You only have to destroy it. And the other interesting thing that Boots Riley talked about was Sorry to Bother You is that I, a lot – because it came out in two, 2018, a lot of people thought it was a uh, Trump movie and it wasn't. It was an Obama movie about how even in you know Obama's America that the inequality and capitalism like you know – uh, the the person who was supposed to help some of these things, it was it hadn't changed anything. If anything, it was getting worse and worse and worse as Obama gave up on some of his more loftier socialist ideas into like capitalist compromises and stuff like that. And so he you know he wrote it in response to I think you know what there's there's those Twitter things that go around sometimes Peter that I'm sure you've seen that's like what what made you radicalize and a very common answer including what I would call for myself too is like, Oh, once I realized that electing Obama, what didn't change anything basically <clears throat> like still, still way better again, still way better than Mitt Romney or John McCain or Donald Trump. Like it's, you know, it's harm reduction and, and, you know, some, some mitigation, which is, which is valuable. It's more valuable than trying to destroy the system. And, you know, when a bomb goes off and you destroy something, a lot of people get hurt during that. But it wasn't actually the like leftist or or socialized paradise that that and no, he wasn't even trying to do that. That that was like where Boots Riley started to write "Sorry to Bother You," and no one wanted to make it. He made an album around those themes, I think, in like twenty thirteen, I want to say, and no one wanted to make it um, until Donald Trump was in office, and then there was a lot more appetite to to make a movie. Um, focusing on like you know someone corrupted by by the evil forces of white capitalism and um, ignoring his his leftist friends who are marching in the street and stuff like that. It's also a good cautionary tale that if you're assuming that a movie is reacting to like something that happened like six weeks ago, like just remember that that filmmaker started working on that movie maybe five or ten years yeah. earlier. Well, like, it, they might have written that script like they might have written that script like two and a half presidential admins ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what what is dawning on me now um, is that this movie, one of the reasons that I like this movie is because it takes the fuck you and fuck everything that's going on energy. Um, and then it uh, <laughs> but it never really like worships or admonishes Otto. No, like just because uh martin sheen is not martin sheen uh mm. emilio estevez he looks wow. so much like his dad way he does but way off yeah yeah um while also just, being very close yeah um just uh, emilio estevez um he uh looks so much like martin sheen um just because he's like incredibly handsome and charming and he has like a boyish smile the movie isn't letting him off the 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 the, the He's not letting them off the the the, um, the hook for being uh, an asshole and uh, being kind of shallow and shitty. And like at one point, he like abandons Bud in that liquor store shootout. Yeah, he abandons Bud, and then he doesn't come back to apologize to Bud. He comes back to be like, um, "Well." Um, I need information out of you. And the only way to get that information is for me to apologize. And like when he goes back to visit his parents, he's putting on that same voice where he's just like, well, shucks, um, I could really use that money you were saving for me because I need to, you know, use it for my purposes. Um, and I'm definitely going to go to college, definitely going to graduate college. Um, oh, yeah. That, that like, scene. mom, Dad, you know, I've always, loved you. I've always, you know, I've always like, loved you, right? 
I've always loved you. I've always felt pretty close to you. <laughs> While they're not taking their eyes off their cult video, which also definitely is a very like what it was like being raised by 80s parents. Like, oh, yeah. Sorry, we're yeah. too busy worshiping the Lord to pay attention to our kids. Do um, they have an Oral Roberts or a 700 Club? Or... Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we we gotta talk, so we gotta talk about just really quickly like how this movie got made, and then let's yeah. let's get into let's it. get into because the thing is we talked about the politics of it, which is you know They're important to to this month. But this movie's also just fun, and you know we yeah. I will the button on that conversation about like it's much more of a fuck you to everyone. It also is about a nineteen year old kid in Reagan's America, and as I think you're about to talk about, Peter, like. This was his. This was Alex Cox college film. So this, the 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 time in your life where I think you have a good, re, you know, a a good excuse to be like, you know what, all this stuff is fucking stupid. Is at nineteen, right? Like you become an adult. You realize in a lot of cases, like you 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 know, Otto doesn't have the opportunity to, to go to college. His parent, and when he tries to, his you know whether he's telling the truth or not. His parents have given away all the money to religious, you know, the cult that they're in. Um, so he's working at a shitty store and every, you know, he has no money and he has no prospects and every adult treats him like shit. And literally the government exists only to exploit him and and people his age. And, you know, you know, 10 years ago they were sending people or, you know, 15 years ago they were sending people his age to just die in Vietnam over stupid stuff and they will continue to do that. That is the age where you should, you know, that that before hopefully it codifies around some level of humanism and like, oh, we could make this better. That's the age where it's very easy to go, you know what, everything adults and our government and our capitalist system cares about is fucking stupid and I hate it all. And I think – you know, part of the reason why I this movie really still holds up for me is that the perspective of that is coming from Emilio Estevez, who is a 19 year old uh, kid in a uh, in a in a city where he has he you know he has no he has no future fundamentally because the the society has not has not set up a system that would allow him to 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 have one. Absolutely. So this movie is, it came out of Alex Cox made uh, some shorts in college. Uh, He got a Fulbright scholarship to attend um, USC, um, famous USC film school. Um, So he's a USC grad. And uh, so he came over uh, to America. um, And he made this, he finally made this movie at 29. Um, So it's pretty interesting because like, it feels like the, 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 the workings of someone who's, you know, five or 10 years younger, but it has the benefits of somebody who has the the experience and the maturity to know a little bit more about how to work within um, the this, this system. Yeah. And they had uh, the produ- his producers that um, helped him develop the concept and the script. Um, they had some back and forths with the only time a studio was interested in the project was kind of stealing it from one of them, either kicking both the producers off or kicking Alex Cox off of his own project and just buying the script or whatever. Um, so they could turn into whatever they want. Um, and they just retained their little, um, their little huddle. Um, and what eventually happened was, uh, they... (laughs) teamed up with uh you know this aaron uh a x monkey yeah <laughs> michael uh, i do michael, michael nesmith. nesmith yeah i have it in my uh yeah he's the ep of repo man 
It's pretty interesting that the monkeys, which was basically just like a consumer product to rip off the Beatles, like this guy is responsible for um, for like this movie. And uh, I was gonna say his monkey's head also is like, you know, a, a pretty, pretty crazy project. Like, um, I, have you seen did you ever see I covered um, head? No, was, I watched the trailer and you described it to me. It sounds pretty wild. I, I watched it. Uh, I did an episode on it with our um is 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 swamp flicks our sister podcast is that what we yeah yeah we'll call it our sister podcast um but i uh, brandon lede and i did an episode on it i was yeah yeah it, it's it, it's he was sort of a champion of this movie uh michael nismith and he had had ups and downs right the monkeys made him some money but he lost a lot of that money kind of blew it um yeah the monkeys were real pariahs and we talked about that in that episode because um, they were they were kind of seen as the uh, uh, you know a fake be- Beatles that a studio had put together when they were like incredibly talented and yeah I mean they were introduced by a studio but um, you know everyone meets people some some ways and they still made some fucking great songs and some even more interesting music like post their their fame yeah and it, and um. The, Head, so Head Michael, was a fuck you to their image, too, and, like, that whole concept. So it makes sense that Michael Nesmith uh, would be like, oh, you understand. <laughs> so, yeah, he he, um, he was someone that was sort of in the system, but also not in the systems. But he at least had contact. So he helped them try and pitch this to Universal. They got shot down. Then uh, he there was a, a manager that really, really wanted to, to grab up Michael Nesmith and get him into his... Um, his fold and this manager was at a bar with um with nesmith and uh he said so what are you working on like what are you working on he's like i'm making this movie repo man but it sounds like it's not gonna go you know i can't manage to get this thing on its legs and this manager is like oh where have you pitched it and he said uh universal and the manager recognizes this guy ramey who's like a head developing guy or a head of of universal like a big a big name at universal at the time and uh this manager had so much pull, he was able to like walk over or summon this <laughs> this uh, universal manager over and shame him into greenlighting the project. And the next day, Nesmith got a, a call from Raimi's uh, secretary <laughs> saying, yep, yeah, I guess the project is on. Uh, so they got they gave um alex cox's producing team 1.8 million dollars and uh alex cox's first thing he laments is he's like when you're working in the studio we knew how to make the movie we could have made the movie twice as big if we had made it on with our crew and with our money but since we were using studio money (laughs) he was like we had to deal with um teamsters we had to set up these honey wagons so all the stars had places to sleep at night that were cozy like uh, you know, all these all these like amenities that Hollywood films have to have to make these staff, the professional staff comfortable, um, like, you know, no handheld work. They hired a professional photographer, like all, all this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, so he's like, yeah, it's one point eight million dollars. But like, I really wish I actually had one point eight million dollars um, to make it even bigger um, with my kind of, you know, more guerrilla filmmaking crew that he'd been working with in, in, in L.A. at the time. And what he did was he first one of the first things he did when he was putting this together was he called up like his like L.A. punk contacts and started making friends with people. And he somehow got in t- contact with uh, Iggy Pop, who had abandoned yeah. New York for a little bit to like see what the L.A. punk scene was like. 
you know, Iggy Pop was kind of washed up at that point. I think a lot of his, like, you know, the, he got a Bowie bump after his initial sort of Stooges bump and like he had different eras and like, you know, he made a lot of great records on his own. And with, yeah, I mean, in the seventies, he had some, some, you know, big albums. too. Some of the best punk albums of all time. Right. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. But songs like passenger and lost for life are like some of the best songs ever. Yeah. yeah. I love that shit. And, um, so he, he sort of set the tenor. He came in and he wrote a couple different songs that sort of have this, like what he considers sort of like California, like road rock kind of vibe. Um, and then he fucked off. Um, Alex Cox was like, yeah, he did what we wanted him to do. He, he wrote a theme and he wrote, uh, some of the, he wrote a theme and sort of like gave us a, a, a direction to point. Um, and he had some people come in and finish off the rest of the music. But the soundtrack is largely um, him recruiting people like Suicidal Tendencies and the Circle Jerks and, and um, Black yeah. Francis and all these other like killer acts um, to contribute a song or two to the soundtrack. Some had been pre-written. Some needed to be written for the movie. Um, and some of them end up like truly playing with the movie like circle jerks end up in the movie as like those that shitty lounge act because alex cox wanted to make fun of lounge acts um and they're sort of like fucking around uh like so they're kind of performing um suicidal tendencies uh they have a song it's called like tv party i think it is and in one scene uh uh otto is just screaming the he's like pissed off and drunk and it's like 5 a.m and he's just screaming the lyrics of this the suicidal tendencies song out into the into the into the nothing um in this like desolate la wasteland um and like the movie's soundtrack actually was such a huge monumental cultural um moment for punk um in a way that's like i had i didn't know because i wasn't around but i'm just keep i i've i've been reading so much about this movie that it's funny to find out like oh yeah the soundtrack probably made more than the movie like the way that oh uh, yeah the way that um music books and movie books are calculated is a little different but if you actually like make the adjustment um the, the soundtrack probably made way more than the movie yeah ever did um and like it was like in, in demand and selling out to the point that like universal's uh corporate head that actually was like the music division was like so is there a movie for this? <laughs> like, they didn't quite know. They're like, it says there's a soundtrack, but we've never even heard of the movie. Um, pretty funny. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Alex Cox put a bunch of his his love and his, like, sincere sincere commitment to punk into this movie. And I'm not, like, uh, generally, like, a punk guy. I love seeing it live, especially, like, over the years. Like, there's been there's a few, like, uh, dive bars in San Diego that'll have, like, uh, queer punk bands up. And it'll be, like, some of the most fun rooms I've ever been in. Um, like, it's just, they're really fun acts to be in the room for. Um, I like a lot of classic punk albums. I like, I like you know, The Clash. I was never much of a Sex Pistols guy, so I never, I actually haven't seen Sid and Nancy, because I was just like, eh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Uh, Sid and uh, Nancy is, like, not a fun movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, it's okay. I mean, Gary Oldman's performance in it is, is fantastic, but it is, like, it, it's kind of a grind to watch. Yeah, I, I'll eventually see it, but like, I'm not even enough of a Sex Pistols guy to be like, yeah, I'll check out the. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going to check out the Sex Pistols show. I like three of their songs. 
Yeah, and and I, I uh, which is I like twenty five percent of all their songs, by the way. And I like suicidal tendencies. I like a lot of the bands in in this. Like they're they're fantastic and they contribute to the soundtrack. I'm not going to pretend this episode like I've got fucking bunk, punk bona fides. Like no, I'm, I mean I'm, I I have a like I I like a lot of punk stuff, but I also like I real I don't like this this for the, a lot of the soundtrack like cares more to like the the post hardcore punk stuff like i've never been a huge like black flag stuff and i like i like like husker do and stuff but i like them i like their later stuff when they got a little bit more um melodic yeah like recognizable songs like zen arcade is great but zen arcade like you know is 40 of the same songs over and over like i yeah. yeah, I like I, I, I dig a lot of punk music. I can appreciate it. I It is firmly one of those things that like I kind of want to be in the room for if I'm going to watch. Yeah, I've noticed on, what, on, the, what's, on the album. I, I doesn't quite it doesn't quite work for me, which I think is fine. And I'm not going to pretend this episode like I'm like a hardcore punk guy. Because it's funny whenever people bring up movies like this, they like to pretend like because they've listened to like a couple punk albums that they're like somehow like hardcore punk fans. And it's like it's it's fine. You can just be a white kid from the suburbs like me. You can just be like a a dorky a dorky guy that likes a lot of different types of music. You don't have to like pretend like you're somehow hardcore. Yeah, the hardcore stuff again. Like I like I, I love the punk stuff. I the hardcore stuff. But the the song on this album that stuck with me when I saw it like in college was the is the band that I like absolutely fell in love with. And what's so funny is that when I went to go find the song, I found the band but then I didn't realize that the band whose song I found didn't do the version in the movie. <laughs> and then when I watched the movie again, maybe like five years later, I was like, oh, this isn't the Modern Lovers. This is someone covering the Modern Lovers. <laughs> like, because I heard the Pablo Picasso song and I was like, that was the song in the watching the movie that I was like, oh, I fucking love this. What is this? Oh, it's rad. Yeah. And I then I went and like found out, you know, oh, it's it's you know pablo picasso was written by jonathan richmond and the water lovers and so i bought that album and then you know immediately like you know roadrunner kicks off that album and i was just like oh i love this and i you know i got that album and then their their next album and then uh, ended up liking a lot of the jonathan richmond solo stuff but then i didn't revisit repo man uh because i don't think i ever had i rented it on vhs and then I never had it on DVD, and I feel like it was not all that released, and maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I don't remember ever seeing it like in Best Buy, even though I really liked the movie, until uh, the Blu-ray, the Criterion Blu-ray came out, and it was like one of the first Criterion Blu-rays I bought, maybe in like, I don't know, 2011, 2012 when that came out? I forget. But like, so I didn't, I didn't watch it a ton until it came out on Blu-ray, and then I've seen it a few times since then. But whenever I revisited after the first time when I went after the movie and like looked up the Pablo Picasso song, I went back and like, oh, this is a cover. Yeah. I think I think we've covered uh, enough of the background stuff. Peter, are you ready to talk about how fun, goofy, hilarious and uh, mind blowingly wonderful uh, a little movie called Repo Man is? Absolutely.
Peter, we're back. We're here. Ready to talk about the repossession, man. I was I was actually thinking before we started, like, we have some great bits on this show. And I was thinking, what if I refuse to not call the movie Repo Man and spend the entire time calling it Repossession Man? Um, that's great. I will continue to call it uh, Repo Men and insist that we are talking about the Jude Law vehicle. Have you seen that movie? Uh, about half of it. I watched the whole thing. It's so bad. <laughs> it's like a it's like a cool concept for a movie. It's like that movie. We um, steal it organs, me that... mate. <laughs> uh, like, Jude Law, famously I, like... Australian, and a bad and has a bad accent. <laughs> it'd be like we steal we steal organs, mate. Look, we're gonna eat your kidneys. They basically took that Monty Python's The Meaning of Life sketch of like, where they can I have your liver? <laughs> Made a movie out of it. That's it. it. Oh. It was a great concept, well adapted by um, yeah. the lovable lads from Liverpool. Um, yeah. So, what? Take us through what happens in the repossession, uh, human. Uh, yes. So we begin with a car traveling uh, through New Mexico, um, and it gets pulled over by a cop. It's being driven by a uh, maniacal-looking sort of uh, white middle-aged man. Um, who uh, J. Frank Parnell, who was driving? Yeah, the you Chevy talked Malibu. about you did talk about the budget. Like you didn't have as much budget because it was studio budget, and he's anti-union and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, it was interesting that they couldn't even afford an eye patch, and they just had to like, you know, poke one part of a sunglass out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but uh, the real this is basically a Greg Akari movie. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like a, a pirate from a, a, a Waterworld porno. But uh, he is he's uh, driving his car along uh, the New Mexico desert. He gets pulled over by a cop who opens up the trunk and he gets vaporized by a nuclear smash of light. I don't know. What you, I, I don't know. I love I love that. Of science. That, I love that effect where it, like he it literally he just like implodes and turns into light like the radiation. In the It's so powerful. Like it's like the. They switch to that, like, the negative on the camera, and then it's just a pair of shoes. Great, like, a great effect. Yeah. It's a perfect sort of uh, cartoony cartoony effect, uh, but it actually is kind of scary. There are moments when characters touch the, the back hatch, and you're like, don't open that fucking thing. Uh, then the movie kicks off, uh, Iggy Pop theme song, and we uh, meet Otto, our lead, who's working in a shitty, uh, like, a, a, a shitty job where his boss is constantly breathing down his neck about how he doesn't face well at the supermarket like any, i think anybody that's worked uh retail can um can understand this i i uh i had a job uh where i got yelled at for not facing correctly oh i i worked at a grocery store it was like of all the shit jobs i had in like um high school and college the grocery store I lasted four months and I quit. Like I hated it so much. It's a very, it's very difficult. It's not. People it's not just difficult. It's like garbage. It, it, they treat they treat you like garbage, like in a very like clear way, and they're constantly like, and like the way that they try to figure out like how to get the most out of the six dollars an hour they're paying you. Like oh, you know, there's only. There's there's only uh, one person. There's only two people in, e- in each line at the register. We can close down a register, and yes, people will have to wait a second. But go face. Like it's just, it's amazing how like little money they they. I mean, especially for like me in high school, I think they paid like five seventy five an hour or something like that because the minimum wage was five fifteen. And um, 
And yeah, like you didn't this, crank you up to five seventy five. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, but like this, set, it was like you know Bismarck, North Dakota, like local local chain grocery store. But like the the there was this manager who would just walk around and be like, oh, go face, go face. He just would sit there and like you would you were hired to be a cashier and you're really just like, which also was a shitty job. Like that, the monotony People of are it rude is terrible. Shitty. Yeah, everyone's yeah. shitty to you and. Uh, yeah, uh, so I, I think the grocery store is the perfect setting because, uh, like, a lot of these jobs are just hum- humiliating and the absolute worst. But, I mean, I you know, I worked at restaurants and I worked at a video rental store. And I, I worked at ones that, like, had a modicum of, you know, dignity or autonomy or just, like, a, you know, a little bit of camaraderie and fun. And this was like, hey, are two people talking? Go face. <laughs> like, it's just the worst. Insane. But, yeah. Um, so he's working, he's working a job he, he fucking hates regardless, right? Um, and, uh, it, it's sort of one of those things where he, like, quits. Um, but he quits by telling his manager, like, fuck you. Like, he does, like, a hard quit. Um, and, uh, a security guard, like, pulls a gun on him. Yeah. Like, it, it gets serious very quickly. Um, and it, it's, the movie is very anti-authoritarian in, in that sense. Because, like, um, no person that society has handed a gun is trustworthy in this the security guard dash x cop dash x veteran at the or a veteran at the that works at the repo a uh, lot he's a he's a fucking scum um he turns on the repo man as soon as it's it's comfortable um all the cops in this movie are kind of incompetent nincompoops who like open fire at the first chance they get i think i think in this movie was unnecessary but okay <laughs> and uh yeah like the movies the movie's general uh dislike for uh, anybody that society has handed a gun and said uh this is your job yeah. uh, is, is seen in the first like three minutes in the movie Otto goes and fucking parties um to, f- well, to feel well one better. thing too he that he really makes, he makes like i think something that's very clear and very true that i think he does a good job with that whole thing is like hey just to let you know like as a like all the bullshit you've heard about society catering to the next generation is like a we need to support you we need to like hey the you know the children are our future and we want to make a path for them and stuff like that in that's actually not the case right like uh, you know we've heard all the stories about like how like uh, boomers and are like just hoarding generational wealth and power and like you know doing everything they can to make sure that like you know they get all theirs um you know think of even even the the democrats like we have 80 year olds in power because they refuse to to let they just want the money and the power and stuff like that uh you know Otto as a character just quitting like the amount of adults like a true adults who like either dismiss him or pull guns on him or something like that is very high because it's like uh hey you are a threat to us you are here to replace us you are not to be trusted i don't trust you and it's like it's not a surprise that otto can't find a connection to in in the world of anyone who's not in his his same age group regardless of their you know their stature yeah and he so he gets shit on shit on from that and then also like uh his his um he he greets one of his punk friends um who was originally going to be leading the movie um and uh, <laughs> he he uh, greets one of his punk friends who just got out of jail, and then he gets out of bed with his uh, his girl uh, to go get her a beer, and he comes upstairs. Uh, she's in bed with his uh, 
his friend, his supposed friend. Um, and he's just like, fuck this. And this like makes him go like, I'm, I'm out of here. Um, like I'm, you know, I'm done with you guys for at least a little bit. Um, cause, uh, you know, no, there's no honor. Like they're, they, they, they don't give a shit about him. Yeah. It's just a, it's a party scene for them. Right. This is not a place where people go when they've been rejected by society so they can hold each other's shoulders, right? This is a place where people go that, like, are so pissed off and, like, seek out some, like, piece of oblivion yeah. to, like, make them feel better, right? It's nihilism. Um, uh, I'm not saying that about every uh, uh, punk or anarchist group. I'm saying that about specifically this one and many ones that I've run into in my time. Um, uh, so he goes off into the night, and then some guy pulls up uh, along him, uh, Bud, played by Harry Dean Stanton, and he's like... I need you to help get my car out of this neighborhood. It's a bad neighborhood. I can't leave my car here. It'll get broken into. It'll get stolen. And he hands him the keys. He offers him whatever, 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever it is. And he says, uh, yeah, just drive the, just follow me, drive the car and follow me. Um, and then as he's doing that, someone comes up and like tries to wring his neck and he's like, realizes something is up and he drives the car to the repo lot and still doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He just thinks someone was trying to steal the car from him. Still doesn't know what's going on. He's in the office. People are trying to get their cars back from the repo men and paying their, their, paying their, their due. Um, still doesn't know what's going on. And then finally, uh, someone's like, Hey, uh, you know, you, you did pretty good out there, kid. Like, do you want to, do you want to do this for real? Um, and he's like, oh, you guys are repo men. And he's just pouring his beer on the carpet. <laughs> but Bud is kind of like, Bud is kind of like down bad for Otto in this movie. Like Bud wants, Bud wants a mentor. Like it's kind of, it's, I don't think it's intended, but it's kind of funny that like the way he gets uh, Otto to uh, come along as he lies and said his, his wife's about to give birth to their son. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like in a weird sense, like, Otto is, like, or Bud is trying to, like, get a son in this situation. Like, he's trying to get someone to pass on his knowledge to or something. Yeah, I, I think him. I think that's he's, the It's key. a mentor-mentee thing. Yeah, that, you know, he you know he feels like he has a lot to say about what, what society's like and what it means to be a repo man. And, like, not, like, Otto sees him as a very wise mentor. But, you know, one thing that, like, that comes out very quick, you know, Otto at least has the understanding that like he sees repo man he's like look i am against the man right like that's my whole thing my parents suck my bosses suck the system sucks my friends suck like every you know i this is very much a fuck the man movie and like you don't get much more of a of a example of the man than a repo man right like literally but but that's the thing like like he is Repo men are not the problem, right? They're a output of society. Well, ex- exactly. To, yes. To debt and credit scores and uh, the idea of cheap cash that you can borrow and then you get yourself into debt and then you ruin your credit score and then it's hard to find an apartment. It's hard to buy, get another car. It's sort of an addicting hole, but it helps feed the consumer machine because while you're spending stuff on that credit card, um, while you're making um, leases on cars, yada, yada, you're consuming, you're keeping um, people buying, uh, in this case, Detroit Auto, um, if we're talking about Chevys, um, people are buying cars, they're buying, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's medical care, that's one of the characters in this movie, this, this old lady, just like the reason she's in debt is because of medical care. Um, people have to consume, it's, you, you are, start consuming the moment yeah. you're born, right? Um, and 
this is a um this is a this is this is people that are on the ugly side and the the side that gets frowned upon by society but like they're just a visible space a visible face to the problem with uh debt in this country debt is a is a, is a thing that has is not an accident of the system it's an intended purpose of the system oh yeah yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, I think we talked about it on the Robocop episode, like, you know, credit scores weren't even a thing until, like, the late 70s, early 80s, and it was a way to essentially stop, to basically discriminate against poor people from getting access to capital. So you could just say, no. Like, here, here's my way to actually, like, I can't, I can't not give someone a loan because of you know x y and z what's another way i can deny them a loan even if they you know on the the amount of money they have looks financially viable to pay back oh you know we can invent this thing and hoard capital for ourselves and and knowing that people like to your point knowing that people need cash to and and money to exist in our capitalist society instead of giving them capital we're going to give them debt and that's how they're going to get access to their things. So yeah, um, the repo man. It's something that yeah, it's it's something that it's something that like if you have a five year old's understanding of the world, um, the idea of a credit score and the idea of debt is actually fairly. It, it, it makes sense, right? Like if you have five year old's understanding of of the world, you're like, all right, you borrowed money and then you couldn't pay it back, and then it ruined your credit score, and then you couldn't borrow more money. You're Too like, bad, yeah, gotta learn because you made you made a mistake. You, you didn't. You weren't a good. You weren't a good. Weren't a good consumer. Friend, you didn't yeah. pay back your friend the bank. Uh, it's like all those but, stupid examples of like, hey, if I'm a family and I don't have enough money to buy the vacation, then I guess I just need to work harder and save, and that's why we can't yeah. give people Medicare. But it's the 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 debt problem in this country. It would be simple if it was just like ah. You bought too many PS5s. The, the this, this repo man has to come and take one of your PS5s. Right? Yeah. Like it would be if it was like merely um, surplus goods or something. You know, it would be it'd be less of a it'd be less of a, a, a risable thing. You know, there'd be worse problems in the world. I guess I should well, say. Um, but the problem is that the this country is so uh, geared against working class people that it ends up people putting things on credit card and putting things on credit that are absolutely necessary to their existence, such as cars. Yes, like. If you're in a position where you can't make a car payment, but you do, you are working. How are you supposed to get to your job so you can continue, to, continue to pay? Yeah, it's the if you have medical payments, what are you supposed to do? Just die in the hospital rather than build up yeah. debt? Like, like oh, you lost your job. To, well, how are you supposed to get like clothes to go interview for a new one? How do you have a car to go to the interviews? And like, yeah, it's the old thing of like how expensive it is to be poor and how expensive it yes. is to get out of. To get out of debt, like it's a, it's a, it's an almost impossibility for many people. And even if you do get out of it, then you're still stuck with probably a credit score that can take, you know, a decades to of of perfection to to escape from. That still ends up being this because ultimately, no one can like the, the you know the you are you are literally a number on a spreadsheet. So no one cares if you individually have the ability like at least from a societal standpoint right yeah like and up upward mobility in this country is is largely a lie um uh people that are already upwardly mobile tend to be able to do better right like if you have enough money for 
investments, your investments tend to pay off. The putting money on Wall Street actually does tend to pay off. Um, I hate to say it. Um, But uh, if you are just trying to keep your head above water, shit gets more expensive, inflation gets worse, cost of housing gets worse. And then on top of that, you also got to pay off your old credit card loans or you have to wait for the credit reporting to die on those loans um, so that it no longer affects your credit score and then start rebuilding your credit from scratch. Like, yeah, like you said, that's that's a years long that's a years long process. It's 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 in, incredibly incredibly hard in this country to like get back that trust from uh, the creditors. And like I said, if this was just about fucking PS fives or you know like sort of fun frills and and you know like ah shit, I can't go to the bar for the month because I spent. Yeah. I borrowed way too much money from the bank. I don't know. You know, like it would be less of something that's risable and something that gets your gets, you know, generally speaks to a societal issue. It would just be like, eh, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I took a bet that I would have the money in two weeks and I didn't have the money in two weeks. Right. Um, instead, it's like an issue where like because the country has limited interest in making things easier for the working class and the poor. That, that those issues just get that those debt issues just get worse and worse so it's 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 pretty brutal yeah so uh Otto ends up going under the tutelage of bud who's played by harry dean stanton who lays out the um the repo man code so apparently this is a, this is a harry dean stanton um thing because he took like a bunch of disparate sort of speeches and smushed them together he added his own piece to it um and he and uh he ended up adding pieces of like the third laws the three laws of robotics um to this like long speech um and uh a fun thing about this is that the way alex cox got experience knowing what repo men's lives were at least somewhat like was by going on ride-alongs with a repo man and like helping him boost cars um and like that's part of the fun of this movie is that like he is doing illicit things, but they're, like, technically legal. Um, but, like, what's more important to these repo men is it's not the law. Like, when one of them gets beat up, they specifically do not go to the cops. Yeah. They they, they go and beat up the beat up the, the person um, that beat up their repo man, right? Um, and uh, Bud lives by a code. He's sort of, like, been... He's been a repo man for 11 years. He's been a repo man so long that, like... He like has not only drank the Kool Aid, he's turned it into like sort of like um, a, yeah, like a like mantra. yeah, like he's like he's uh, ghost dog way of the samurai, like he's a samurai, right? Yeah, like, yeah, and it's like it would be admirable if it wasn't about something like taking people's cars. Yeah, he has a, uh, but even then, like I like the way that like while everyone has like thing about this movie is it paints human life. And the prison that's going to is, like, not worthwhile. It's why, like, him quitting the grocery store gets a gun pulled on him. And, like, people die and disappear. And people go, yeah, I don't know. People explode sometimes. And, you know, people's <laughs> friends disappear and go, oh, well, I guess let's go do something else then. And, like, you know, that has a nihilism that's expressed by the the feeling of the world that they're in and and and, and stuff like that. And so – but I – but one thing that they show with the Repo Man is I think they, they understand the nihilism of the world and try to avoid it. So, you know, Harry's Deeds to Bud's code is like, it is not worth ever dying for a car. And when, when uh, what is it, Archie? Not Archie. Who's the other Repo Man who has a gun? Oh, I forget. Yeah, he's got a... Okay. Cy Richardson plays Light. Yeah. So when, uh, when, when Light has a gun and Otto's like, hey... You know, I just learned the code from Bud that we shouldn't have guns. 
like, what do you do? And he's like, don't worry about it. You know, Otto thinks that he's like, oh, this this guy's taking the code to a different level. Because at one point, did you get shot of? And like, you know, later on the movie, when he finally shoots the gun, you find out it's blanks. Like they 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 understand they need to work with an, an evil capitalist system and impose the threat of violence that exists in this nihilistic world. But, you know, as you know, it's not worth dying over. And also, they're not going to be the perpetrators themselves of it. Like even yeah. Harry Dean stands like you never fuck up a car, you never hotwire, you never tear it apart. Like just go do your job, and there's yeah. honor yeah. in that. Whether there is or not, it's a different question. But you know, again, it's the it's that they are they are existing in some sort of code of honor in a capitalist society that does not have honor. And it's important to note a couple things right now. One ordinary fucking people is like one of the most famous movie lines of the 80s like that's like i hear that line more than i hear like quotes from back to the future among my friends like i hear ordinary fucking people all the fucking time um like uh yes some of them are as uh sometimes it's it, it feels kind of cringy like uh, people the say guy from party down is a roman from party down yeah. <laughs> um but like uh Ordinary fucking people, and then, like, Harry Dean Stanton's rants, like, where he's talking about his philosophy. It's like, credit is a sacred trust. It's what a free society Oh, yeah, when, he, when, he, when they drive past, like, a bunch of, like, black people, and he's like, all these people are behind on their bills. It's like, okay, not not the best guy. And then, yeah, that's, like, one of the only times in the movie that I think um, Otto is actually, like, speaking for the audience. He's like, he's like, I mean, he doesn't use a term that I think most of the audience would use, but, like, he's like, they're winos, man. They don't have money. Like, what the yeah. fuck are they supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, what if, what do you expect them to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, they, they don't have money, so they can't get more money. I don't know how this is hard for you to, and that's, like, a thing that Bud has these, like, freakouts because he's, like, <laughs> like, you think they give a damn about their bills in Russia? And Otto's like, they don't have bills in Russia. It's all free. <laughs> I, love, I love that part. Yeah, they don't have free bills in you, Russia. Commie? It's all free. What are you, a commie? <laughs> it's two people that fundamentally don't understand how the world works arguing yeah. each other, which is like comic gold. Yeah. Um, free my ass. What are you, a commie? I don't want no commies in my car. No Christians neither. <laughs> I, know, I love that's such a good line. No Christians neither. Um. <laughs> and uh apparently harry dean stanton was like a nightmare to work with alex cox and him like b- made up through an intermediary like 30 years after <laughs> um because this was also like one of harry Le- dean stanton's like only leading roles until he got to this next movie was when wenders paris texas yeah uh, yeah um, which is right after this right yeah, right, right after. He had gotten cast on that while he was on this. And apparently he was kind of a nightmare to work with. He, like, wasn't super safe. It sounds like maybe he was doing drugs or substances while he was on set. Like, he, um, he, he, uh, took, took scenes, like, really intensely. Well, he was um, snorting he a bunch a of speed I saw in the movie, Peter. <laughs> he drank beer while he was driving the car. Uh, sorry, he drank drink while he was driving the car. Yeah, because he, he's like, you gotta wake, you gotta go to bed at three a.m. and wake up at four a.m. if you want to make money. Yeah, you gotta gotta take your uppers and you gotta take your downers. Um, what did he say? I don't, I don't know a repo man who uh, isn't addicted to speed. speed. Yeah, yeah, or take take um, speed. But um, yeah, yeah it's it's again speed. they they have figured out a way to exist within the 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 capitalist system, right? Like they are not bucking it. They're not anti it they have like they recognize its flaws and they've like said okay well how do we create our own like way to make money and so yeah 
if you want to succeed at a at a system that is all about exploitation, you have to exploit your body, your health, your time, and do all that. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the Repo Man part of the movie. Um, and they, you know, it's it's almost like a fun episodic part. And then there's essentially like there's a whole other thing that's going on with um, what's her name, uh, Leela, right? Uh, yeah, I, I always Lila, yeah. Layla. So Leela, yeah, Otto meets Leela, who's this you know girl that he has a crush on. And she is trying to prove the existence of aliens, which relates to the car that we saw. And where they, those plots intersect is that that pink Cadillac that the alien has with, you know, something in the back is uh, the, the Helping Hands Corporation they work for puts out a $20,000 bounty notice for, for that Malibu. And so they're all kind of looking for it because it's, it's like the pot of gold that they're chasing in between their kind of episodic – uh, you know, uh, teach Otto a little bit about what it means to be a repo man in this society. Um, and then, like, have all these kind of funny incidents that, like, you know, trying to take cars. It's a great structure for a movie. It's just funny because, like, the movie could exist without the the secondary part. But I don't think it would be remembered as the, the fantastic movie it is without the fact that. So while you have this nihilistic punk repo man capitalist thing, also, there's a girl trying to prove the existence of aliens while the government's uh, uh, after her. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's a good point to, to pause here. So there's Layla, who is dressed very, like, is very, like, infantilized throughout the movie. Yeah. Like, she dresses like a 15-year-old throughout most of the yeah, movie. Mo- yeah, yeah, it doesn't treat her great. Yeah. I mean, Otto specifically doesn't treat her great either. Otto is a shitty boyfriend. He's just trying to get laid. Yeah. He doesn't really care about her. Um, she also doesn't really care about Otto, but she like pretends to be hurt when she like literally like has him abducted and tortured. Yeah, I think they both think that they're hot and they're young, and everyone else is kind of old and weird. <laughs> but I love, I love. It's part of the subversion of this movie that that this is not a romance story. They don't get in the car at the end and fly off to the moon together. Or yeah, the exact opposite. Um, actually. Yeah, he tells her like. Fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> what about our relationship? He's like, fuck yeah. that. <laughs> it's like a really good laugh line. He's like, why would we have a relationship? We've treated each other like dirt for yeah. 90 minutes. It's it's both a great <laughs> moment and a very funny line that also probably the worst people in the world love for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. I love it because these two people have no business being together. Like, yeah. why would he even slut somewhat consider this relationship? Oh, yeah, I agree. Also, and again, Otto's not like uh, the hero of the movie either. He's not like, yeah, you told him. He's like... Oh, and she's she's also upset because she wanted to go in the car. Yeah, like, she wanted to go see the aliens. Is, similar to what I was talking about earlier in this movie about how or early in this episode how Bud he only goes to Bud to apologize because he wants to know where the car is. People don't actually like people don't actually like say like you know I'm really sorry for the way I treated you earlier. Um, it's kind of like no honor among thieves for the entire movie across the yeah, entire it's just, it's just it's just people yeah, it's people committing actions. I mean, so Archie is actually the guy, the the punk friend who's like being mean to his other friend or his other like former nihilist punk friend or whatever. Who like when he won't open the trunk when they run into the alien guy and he's like, yeah, I, he tries to steal their car. Archie's the guy who's like, oh, you you know you huge wuss like. I'm going to open the car and then he opens the car and he burns to death. And then they're just like, yeah, Archie disappears. They're like, well, I guess do you want to go do this other thing? Cause Archie disappeared. It's like, there's just no 
connection to anything. Like, everything is like, every relationship, whether it's parental, whether it's boss, like, the only relationship where there's even, like, some form of bonding throughout the movie is Otto and Bud. Like, everything else is, like, as shallow as as possible there's just no connection to anyone else as another human being which you know maybe i actually think is somewhat purposeful i think the that is the capitalist thing right like everyone's a commodity everyone's a product and if you're out of the product it doesn't matter anymore and there's there's no connection i think that i think that kind of hyper reality of like the human connection that we see in this movie and we saw in robocop for that matter when we talked about it a lot there about how life was literally meaningless to most people and people getting murdered is like an annoyance and not like a holy shit that person's life life was is now is extinguished and i i think that is like how you're viewed under like i think it's purposeful i think that tone is supposed to reflect yeah 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 and it sort of matches the fact that like we're going through the plot in this movie but like the movie is not a plotty movie no the the, the movie is a rolling set it's essentially a hangout movie where people occasionally boost cars and then the last 20 minutes um they actually find the car and that kicks into gear this like revolutionary plot that doesn't make any fucking sense and it like purposefully doesn't make any sense because Otto doesn't care what's happening with the Rodriguez brothers and no. the Rodriguez brothers don't really care about Otto they just care about um possibly getting this car for their own purposes and uh um also the the um possibly getting this car for their own purposes and possibly just like sticking it to the feds yeah i mean there's there's a great scene near the end where they're running away you know they're running away from the the gang and the police and the the fbi and everyone all like gets stopped at that parking garage or whatever and they all get out of their cars and like everyone has guns except for Otto and uh, and layla in that scene and everyone spends a lot of time like they're all after Otto and layla but they all get out and they all start pointing guns at other – like they're not sure they – just, just, everyone's like pointing guns at people and then they eventually all like get them on auto and Layla because they're like, oh, yeah, that's who we're after. But it's just a bunch of people piling out of cars and pointing guns across each other and going like – including like at other cops and other FBI agents because it's just so like – a complete muddle of a bunch of people with guns that are like, who do I point this at again? Oh yeah, that's what we're after. That's what we're doing. We can't. They can't even keep track. Yeah, and I, I think that like what's kind of fun about this movie is that the Rodriguez brothers, the punks that are running around town doing robberies, the nuclear threat uh, that's in the back of the the Chevy Malibu, the alien people um, that are somewhat connected to the government. Um, the alien like freedom fund that Layla works for. Yeah, they're all kind of connected in 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 the in the sense that they all are here for this plot. But like they all are coming together with trying to steal the car. It's yeah. a big fucking cartoon about people like stealing the car from each other. It's like a fucking Benny Hill Benny Hill sketch or something because they're they're just like people get captured and then they pull the two smoke grenades on the fucking SWAT guy's vest and then everybody freaks out and then they get get out of being captured and then they pretty much get captured almost immediately again. Like <laughs> like they're they're just kind of like uh running into each other and goofing around until somebody escalates it to the point that somebody gets shot like bud getting out of the car to shoot at um the helicopter apparently the original ending the original endings that were written alex cox says he went through like at least a dozen drafts the one of the original endings was uh the the uh rodriguez brothers take the car to um 
uh, Nicaragua and use it to, like, fight against the Contras. <laughs> oh. Apparently that, like, just didn't, there was, like, the, it either didn't make sense or they didn't have the budget for it, some combo. Uh, and then the one that sounds like the studio turned down, but there was some arguing in the in the special features about it, about whether or not the studio turned this down or they just turned it down themselves. The other ending was that somebody, one of the principal cast opens up the back of the car because J. Frank Parnell says there's a new, like he said, I worked on a neutron bomb. Um, he, she says, you know, essentially a neutron bomb, it can go off, it leaves buildings intact, but it decimates people. Um, and uh, the idea is that this, this car would go off and kill all of L.A. Um, so that was a, kind a, of the escape from L.A. ending. Like, let's really blow up yeah. everything. Then it kind of has that, you know, that that tone. Yeah. And then they can't end up coming with something that at least resembled an optimistic ending or like a fuck you, I'm out of here kind of ending yeah. in a way that like it ends up going into almost like Wizard of Oz or Grease level <laughs> yeah. fantasy, yeah. at least Grease level fantasy. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they, the, the car just starts floating up into the alien ship and Otto and Bud get in and they literally leave all these people fighting over the car, whether for money or for greed or for power or, you know, again, not to hit on the theme over and over again, but that's what the fucking theme of the movie is. <laughs> like, uh, that all these different capitalist components and they just like, yeah, we're out of here. And, you know, that, that's a very, like, again, d- different from the sorry to bother you of, like, oh, shit, maybe we do need to fight to fix things thing. But it, it's very it, – it totally fits with the movie that, like, Otto has been – had not been connected to any system, period. And, you know, it's – it's in some ways, it's like, you know, it's it's like quitting <laughs> quitting your existing life. I'm, I am out of here. Nothing is – nothing is working. There's nothing I care about here. There's no connection that the society has to me. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> like, and it, he goes out of there by boosting one last car, yeah. right? Like, um, and like that's that's kind of like the nihilism of this movie in a nutshell. Like the general sense of this is like a banal dystopia, right? Like Iron Contra Affair, the Nicaraguan counterinsurgency run by Reagan, uh, the illegal counterinsurgency run by Reagan is operating in the background of this movie. Yep. And it does exist in the real world, but there's aliens. Cons- every conspiracy seems to be real. Um, the whole world just seems like extra sinister. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that the 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 G men can have guys in white coats come out and torch a corpse in the middle of of downtown L.A. and get away with it. Yeah, is is pretty incredible. Like that sort of sense of menace that the government is just rolling around in these trucks with these blonde men in, in suits and earpieces and, and big, big nickel plated handguns are just running around LA at any, any given moment in the back of trucks. Yeah. Like that, that sort of banal dystopia where like, even they don't give a shit, but it's kind of their job to like bop around and like do, do their mission. Um, is, uh, the, the only thing like for the only thing that thus far for, um, Otto and Bud and Bud is kind of his future in a sense because mm-hmm. if you know the mentor mentee thing the idea is like you know someday you could be me otherwise it doesn't work right um, <laughs> so like the mentor mentee thing doesn't work if, if the person that's the the, the mentor uh, looks miserable you're like oh <laughs> well yeah he looks like Harry Dean Stanton <laughs> <laughs> like, who wants to grow up to be speed storting Harry Dean Stanton like, Kid, if you work not, really hard, you can lo- you can end up like me. I don't think you. 
<laughs> that's it's a crucial part of the mentor relationship, right? Like you need to want to be you need to be admiring something about that person. Um, the only good thing in Otto's life are these like little thrills, like banging in the car or doing speed in the car or car racing or drinking in the car <laughs> or driving a space car. Everything in this movie is about the car. Yeah, because it represents money and freedom and everything else that like, you know, it's the it's the unattainable goal for so many people. Of Like, if you just if you just get this one car, you're going to have a lot of money and that's what you want. That's why you're doing all this stuff. So that's so true. Yeah. There's that sequence with a split diopter shot with Bud and Light where where Bud is like, man, if I just get this twenty thousand dollar car. I'm, I'm going to open up my own shop, get a couple pit bulls. His dream is to become a capitalist. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to own my own, my own, own re- repo man shop. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to tell, then I'm going to sit around and get fat, fat in, uh, in the chair and yeah. whatever, he, whatever he says. He says something like, I'm going to sit back in my chair and get fat or something. I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, um, he, he, it, he the, understands the, he has no power to buck the system. So he is trying to work within the system to be able to be in a position to exploit other people. Like that's why the sorry, the sorry about to bother you connection is so perfect. Cause that's exactly the, that first two thirds is the, is the same. Yeah. And, and the, the best part about that is light who um, isn't a huge character, but is part of the mentor system of, of auto light. This is like $20,000. Isn't going to get you your own yard, man. Yeah. Like you're not going to get your own fucking yard for $20,000. Even this, this company. minor prize they've dangled in front of you. Isn't going like, you're not going to get the $20,000. You're also not going to get it because I'm going to get it. But also that's not going to get you what you want. Yeah. It's, it's, it also reminds me a little bit of Keith David in They Live, who's like, he's not just, he understands everything that Roddy Roddy Piper's saying. Yeah. He's just like, man, I've been lived in the fucked over experience a lot longer than you have. Yeah. And let me tell you, like, <laughs> they're like, what you're talking about is the, that's the soup. Yeah. We're in the soup. Yeah. Like you pretending like this is just like, uh, you know, a fucked up little thing that you're just discovering. Like, this is the way it's always worked, man. Like get comfortable or, or, or get the fuck on the road. Yeah, it also reminds me a lot of the film blank check where he like gets a million dollar check. Preston does. Um, and then he thinks he has unlimited money, but ultimately, as his thirty-year-old FBI girlfriend points out, million dollars in nineteen ninety-three is not a lot of money anymore. You don't have unlimited capital resources. You don't. You don't have wealth, right? Like you have a million dollars, um, but it's that's not wealth. That's just money, and there's a big difference um, for Mister McIntosh. Mister McIntosh has to learn, who is of course Preston's alter ego. Um. That 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 a million dollars isn't going to buy you eternal happiness uh, or no. a thirty year old Karen Duffy girlfriend or whatever. No, this great is, it, movie. Well, we should cover that. It kind of does help him buy a Karen Duffy girlfriend. Does get a so kiss? Impressed by his pluckishness. Yeah, I mean, I, a lot. <laughs> I, that's a hole. We, we that is a literal hole that we, we don't need spend to. a lot of time on. But um, we needn't. Uh, yeah. So two things I just want to call out, and then I think we can get to final thoughts. Um, I you know we didn't really mention it's so kind of a famous part of this movie that like the 
in the same way that like the the FBI and the government people, they they can burn people on the street. They basically ride around because like they don't even need to pretend. That's how much the system is rigged for them to be successful, and that's really reflected in the all the capitalist products, right? Like they don't even need to try to market it. Like it's just it's beer, it's cornflakes, it's beans, whatever else. You know, when autos like taste like shit, you know, with the beans because like we're gonna literally shove like the same products out at you and what are you going to do not eat you're not going to buy it like why waste our money on on even trying to gussy this up as something like appealing or stuff like that which is that which is which is a, just a great like they live does this too right like when they have the glasses you see that they're all the products are just white things that say you know what you know some some thing like it's not the idea that there's a there's a fundamental difference between your Rice Krispies and your Frosted Flakes is like a marketing contrivance to get you sucked into caring about that. And that this that the capitalism is so like systemic in this movie that they can strip away all the artifice and go, whatever, you gotta buy it. It's you know, it's a great it's a great joke, but it's also a like a there's a reason why I'm sh- like there's that you can still buy like uh stuff on eBay that says stuff like beer and cornflakes because it is it it feels like in in that one little moment it's hitting at something uh you know insightful. Yeah, yeah, so there's actually I I, I looked into this cuz this is next to ordinary fucking people. I think this is like the other most memeable thing in this movie. Yeah. Um so uh, I looked this up with uh, Alex Cox and his producers mentioned it on the Criterion disc and then I I looked it up and it, it seems to be true. They originally wanted to get product placement in the movie. Oh, interesting. Um, they orig- they sought out a couple specific brands. One of them that they specifically wanted to get was Mickey's. Have you ever had Mickey's before? Yeah. Um, is it, that, that's got to be national because I had it in Chicago. I had and I've yeah, seen and it Chicago, out here, it out Minneapolis, here. opposite sides of the country. <laughs> I I just mean I just mean that sometimes stuff is regional. You don't realize it. Um. So yeah. So Mickey's. Um. Uh. Alex Cox talks about how much he loves this shitty malt liquor yeah. uh, Mickey's. And they actually tried to get Mickey's to sponsor the movie because the movie, people are drinking beer constantly. Yeah. Like, I think in, if not every scene, every other scene, right? Um, somebody always has a six pack on rings. They're carrying it from one place to another. People are drinking and driving. People are drinking at work. Like, it's just sort of part of the, like, fuck you spirit of the movie is just like, like, accepting oblivion. Yeah. Right? Um, it's not about having a party at a certain point. It's just about like, I'm going to, I'm going to accept the fact that like, I'm just going to be fucked up all the time because life sucks. Like, which is like, that's just part of the, the, the world sucks kind of tenor of this. It's not an endorsement of it. Yep. Right. Um, neither by me or the movie. So I, I, apparently they said they tried to get a couple specific products placements because they thought it would be funnier. However, they got rejected for a few and that they kind of moved on from the idea. And the idea that they came ran into was that Ralph's, um, the chain out here, they had a warehouse full of generic products that were all labeled like that, <laughs> um, but they were past the sell-by date. Um, so they bought tons and tons of these fake products to help stock the shelves and i think they might have done some alterations to like parts of the labels but like it didn't say ralph's anywhere on the can just like if you go into like a kroger i think it says like signature select or whatever um they used they they used to not even brand it that way it would just be like you know generic and they had everything be the generics version 
Um, and they turned it into an aesthetic value because they could go to uh, a Ralph's wholesaler and be like, um, yeah, I'll buy this whole warehouse of bullshit. No one's going to eat it. It's going to be props in a movie. Yep. Um, and so, like, yeah, it's pretty funny to me. That, like, the story is like, oh, yeah, they, they came up with these cool labels and labeled thousands of products. Like, no, they did that for They Live. Um, in reality, and the way that I, until, like, literally yesterday, I always thought they did that. In reality... <laughs> <laughs> they just oh, like, so it's it's not like even so much a hyper reality thing. It's just they they found they found a generic brand that really was not trying, and they made it like they, that's yeah, what if what if the that's system. the yeah what if that's what everyone is is getting at this point. Which is part of like one of my final thoughts is just like th- that's the fun thing about this movie is that the movie doesn't pretend to be above the system. No. The movie is aware that that by making a big fucking movie with Universal, also um. The guy, the guy amazingly named Dick Rude, uh, who's in all of Alex Cox's movies, was originally going to be the lead. The guy who plays Duke. Um, that's why Duke has so many funny lines. Like, it was society that did this to me. Uh, yeah, we're not society. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes in the movie that um, doesn't get enough play is like... Uh, when Duke dies and uh, Otto's worried that his girlfriend's going to shoot his, you know, Duke's ex or... I guess, yeah, I guess Duke's ex-girlfriend. If you die, it's you're not dating anymore. Um, he's he's <laughs> gonna he's gonna shoot him, and and uh, it's a very funny meta joke. When was the first time O.J. Simpson referred to Nicole Brown as? His yeah, ex-wife? exactly. Now, now she's really gone. Um, yeah. It's a very meta joke where he just looks at her and goes, "Do you think it's too late for us to get romantically involved?" And like. <laughs> It means, like, too late in the situation, but it's also, there's 15 minutes left of the movie, so I think it's a very funny, like, meta joke, too, because they've, they've been around each other the whole movie and barely said anything, and, like, that's his one response, like, oh, can you let me go? Could we start dating, or is it too late in the movie for that to be a thing? And she just, she yeah. says, just, you know, stay out of my way, and goes away. I had forgotten that this movie ends with a bloody shootout yeah. that kills, like, a bunch of people in yeah. it. Um, it, 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 but like, not like major people cause Bud survives, Duke dies and he's like a, a the, fairly yeah, important yeah. part of a B plot. Yeah. Um, that feels like a very eighties thing. Like the guy that, um, stole your girlfriend gets defeated in the third yeah. act, but it's clearly not intended to be that. Um, and Duke has some, some fun lines like society made this way. And then Otto goes, bullshit. You're just another white suburban punk like yeah. me. And, yeah. Otto, Otto um, does at least. I, one thing I like about Otto is that. Even though he doesn't really have the way, you know, maybe this gets into my final thoughts. Like he doesn't have the way to fight the system, but he does understand that all this sucks, right? Like he 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 doesn't buy into the like the victim of society thing that um um that and again there are true victims of society which he kind of defends like you know the well they're winos and again not not the greatest term but that idea of like. Yeah, they are, you know, they're 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 unhoused and they're addicts and no one's helping them and the fact that they borrowed money is not like a crime against their character. It's the only way that they can afford to eat or have shelter or something like that. And uh, you know, Duke, who is, you know, a white middle class suburban kid, is not in the same like, you know, class as that, and he's just kind of an asshole, which is a you know, is a different is a different thing than people that are, you know, true victims of, of our, you know, this, the capitalist society. And I, I think, you know, in the same way, like he's always very worried when light has a gun that it's actually like, Hey, I'm, you know, Otto doesn't have a gun. Like everyone around him has guns, like literally everyone. 
And there is something about like him just realizing like, you know, he never really establishes that same code for himself or that we ever see articulate. Like there's not there's not necessarily a scene where he's like, here's my code, man, or something like that, that I think would have been uh, not out of place in, in other lesser 80s movies. But like he he is literally a very passive a passive commentator to a society that like he feels no connection with for the most part whatsoever. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a nihilist ending that he just, you know, um, ends up just leaving everything behind into the great unknown, but it, it makes sense for the world that Otto lives in, in a very like satisfying way where he has no connection to anyone or anything not his parents not his friends not his family you know except you know a little bit to bud and the car that they they that he invested a lot of thing looking to so i'm gonna follow the car and i'm gonna follow the car up and uh you know uh maybe maybe it doesn't lead to the best thing but it's not like any it's not like i have any chance of of doing well where i'm at and like that's why I think besides how funny and interesting and just, you know, in that great Randy uh, 80s uh, hyper reality way, it really just kind of does whatever it wants to do. But like, I think even though Alex Cox as a person and I think a lot of the fundamental politics, as I mentioned at the beginning of this movie, don't are a lot different than that they live and can be definitely misused, I think, by people uh, who like. You know, you know, every, everything looks like a, a nail if you're a hammer type type philosophy, but um, but that the movie itself still really works as both like an anti-Reagan, anti-capitalist greed, but also just like works as a fun, fun uh, movie and a and a and a and a fun place for Otto to end up too. Like it, it works, it, it works really well as an Otto character piece, even though he's incredibly passive for our lead character. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it and the character arc is mostly like two beat, yeah. It's like I fucking hate everything. To hey, maybe this next this next exploitation um is the thing is the <laughs> yeah. exploitation for me. Yeah. Um. It's it's not a it's not a full three act beat for him, but it's it's him basically going from like completely lost to at least having this like capitalism uh this 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 um you know castle on the hill to chase after and uh yeah like the movie has no honor among thieves like pretty much up until the end so the only decent character really in the movie is miller well works at the the repo yard sure he mean he's and he he's not exactly uh uh pride friendly let's say oh yeah i mean everyone in the movie is homophobic yeah. we didn't really touch on that like there's a and, and alex cox is like yeah i mean it kind of sucks that i have so many people in an interview later he's like it sucks that i have i have so much homophobia in the movie that story was literally related to me about the john wayne story uh the john wayne is an f-slur story uh, he's like it was literally related to to me um, by uh, someone that I knew uh, who used to do home renovations, um, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, I don't know if it was true or not, but it was just a crazy Hollywood story." And like, I thought it would be fun to like take a swipe at John Wayne. Um, I probably could have done it in a better way. And I was like, "Yeah, you think?" Yeah. Um, but Miller is largely the only decent character because his only interest in the movie is like sharing zen zen philosophies yeah. with people. Yeah. Uh sitting by the fire with them. 
Um, he doesn't fuck anybody over. The car lets him in to drive yeah. for some reason. Like he has somehow made some sort of like cosmic piece that allows him to drive the car. Yeah. He he invites um, Otto in. And like, it is very strange. I mean, Harry Dean Stanton was written out of a bunch of scenes, but it is very strange that Harry Dean Stanton's like in the car with a gun, like ready to go. And then uh, he's like, no, I'm going to get the car and shoot at that helicopter. Um, and then he gets murdered because like it, it, it is a little it is a little clunky. But like when Miller steps into the scene, it kind of makes more sense. Like Miller is is not dragging the old world with him. Like Miller is like kind of like he's kind of moved on to the next. Yeah. World. And in a strange sense, like Miller's philosophies that he's dropping in the movie, like the past is the future. And he's talking about predetermination. Yeah. Like. Harry Dean Stanton, in a few interviews I've seen with him, has talked a lot about the sort of... I think he has a similar track to David Lynch, a sort of a Buddhist transcendental meditation kind of track, where it's like all his, all his sort of... It's not like Calvinist and like predetermination, fully predetermination, yeah. but it's like all, all is set in the universe. Like things happen for, for various reasons that you can't control. Um, it's not up to, to God so much as it's just the, the ebb and the flow of the universe. But yeah, like one of the... One of the pieces of information in this movie I find very interesting is that, like, J. Frank Parnell is, like, sort of seen as almost a central villain in this movie, but he's not. Yeah, he's not at all, really. He's He's run away. He's the person driving around, driving around the nuclear fucking reactor in a a Chevy Malibu that could, you know, maybe blow up the city, maybe, you know, kill everybody involved. Maybe there's aliens in the trunk, like... He was clearly involved in developing, like, nuclear weapons. Like, on paper, in any other movie, he would be seen as the the villain. In this, he's someone who's so racked by... Racked by guilt and discomfort with what he was doing that he, um... He lobotomized himself and then grew more comfortable <laughs> yeah. with, with, with what was going on. Uh, my favorite line is he says radiation. You hear the most outrageous lies about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's trying to post lobotomy. He's trying to ameliorate his own guilt as he's stealing like some version of a neutron bomb. I think when I first saw this movie, I thought like alien bodies were in the back of the car. Uh, yeah, I and thought now, it was like, like only somewhat clear what it was, but it's a little, I mean, he did, uh, Alex Cox did say it's supposed to be a kiss me deadly no. thing. Like, it could be related to it. It's obviously somewhat related to the nuclear research, but also in New Mexico, like they do, that's one of the greatest yeah. uh, epicenters of alien activity. Yeah. And um, well, and also, you know, I mean, we know in the movie myths. universe, the aliens are real. Yes. Yes. That is, that is factually accurate, but he passes through Los Alamos. He passes through Alameda who are both hotspots for, you know, UFO sightings. Um, he doesn't pass through Roswell. Cause I don't think that would make sense geographically. It, 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 it's like part of the plot is to kind of blur those lines is sort of this like overarching sense of doom. Um, and that's one of the things that like, I think really makes this fit in this month is that because like what makes a good dystopic movie is not um, what is your far flung vision of the future? What would be the craziest version of the future you can think of? Because those ultimately like people don't really like, relate to that on any level they don't see the tracks of progress through that they it, it, you might as well just make everyone a blue blue gummy alien at that yeah. point right when you're making something that's about the near future or you're making a dystopic film it's good to have like little pokes and prods at like this is where we're going right like 
Um, sometimes it's utopian. Like there's parts of minor- Minority Report, as much as Minority Report is a dystopia about how, you know, you're, you're, you're guilty of a crime before you ever commit it. Minority Report is also a movie where like we figured out public transportation and how to get around and cars are just kind of like a luxury object, right? Like, but like we can all see that because we're like, well, yeah, I, I get on a train to go downtown and I, I park my car under my apartment, but like, you know, like... People can kind of see the, the traces of how, you know, like, yeah, it would be nice to not have to fight, fight in traffic because, you know, I'm be, being rerouted through these, like, tram Also, lines. like, um, you know, I I do think if there was a good foolproof way to stop someone from committing a murder before they did it, that we should invest in that technology. That, I mean, that does – it does ask uh, a lot of questions that I think uh, the movie Minority Report asks. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I've, I've seen Minority Report. But uh, it comes down on the side of what if they get something wrong? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but, I, yeah. but with, <laughs> I'm saying that most of the time they didn't. They did have to – the guy did have to know quite a bit about the, the precog system in order to trick it. Well, that's the thing. This, he had to know hold quite on, a but bit that's, about that's, it. That's a whole different discussion. But he, he not had to do quite a bit. He tricked the – he like – he modified the precog situation to system to get a different result. Otherwise, it actually worked perfectly though. Yeah, like yeah. the more the more interesting version of that is that it you know it's right like they know that it's right ninety five percent of the time and is it worth conv- you know convicting five percent incorrectly knowing that success rate where the, the point of minority report is that it has a hundred percent accuracy ex- and to preventing all murders <laughs> except when uh, one person sabotages it based on his. A ridiculous amount of knowledge on how the system works. Yeah, and similarly, I would say that this is a utopian film about that if you steal enough cars, you get the really cool green car. Well, then you get to have your own, your own repo man business. So that's that's the utopian dream. Mm -hmm. And Harry Stanton didn't get that, so he left. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I think that that's the genius of this movie. And, and jumping back to the beginning of the episode and also to connect in with the generic products thing is that like, this is not a movie that pretends to be some sort of singular act of genius in some sort of creative vacuum where they can keep their hands clean, right? It's a movie about getting your hands dirty and about how we have to like, you have to fucking work. Unfortunately, you have to do a job. Yeah, like that's that's how you eat and, and keep a roof above We're your head, right? Dirty. Like that's yep. like it's it's and, and it's yes, exactly. And it's and they're all dirty jobs, right? Like uh, there's no there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. So like the 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 um the movie is full of like little cutesy jokes, like um the guy calling Dianetics diuretics, and like the punk kid going, let's do let's go do crimes. Or she goes, let's go do crimes. And he goes, yeah, let's go get sushi and not pay. Yeah. Um, like, great, great movie joke. is full of these yeah. cute, li- these cute little jokes that make it um, into a movie that's like fun to watch as like a as like a eighties ridiculous comedy on the level of like you know a Night of the Comet yep. or you know Back to the Future. When you actually sit and think about the movie, you're like, yeah, Otto's kind of an asshole, but how is Otto not supposed to be an asshole? What is Otto supposed to do in his life to to raise himself up from being an asshole? Like, sure, he went to college so that he could own the corporation that sells the debt to the repo shop. Like, 
what's the like he sh- he just be a different type of asshole right um and, and and i'm not saying that there's no argument for you know raising yourself up um within these systems and there's no argument for um you know you should just <laughs> stop everything and move to a commune because obviously that's not really realistic for 99% of people 99.9% of people um but the 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 point is that like this movie understands that and it recognizes that the fact that you can't uh work outside of the system the system is everything <laughs> as much as you try and pretend that you're working outside the system you're working in the system and the movie embraces that as a reality and then makes it so much more powerful cuz it's saying Look, we made a punk movie about how much we fucking hate Ronald Reagan and how much we hate we hate the capitalist system and how much we hate the American financial system and everything about this country that keeps common people just fucking with their nose in the dirt with a boot on the back of their neck. Uh, and guess what? We did it uh, with Universal's money. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And that's cool. Uh, he also made a movie. And the last thought, a little addendum. Is pretty incredible that Alex Cox, despite his moder- his latter day sins, uh, n- when he made this movie, or sorry, when he made uh, Walker, um, in the m- middle of Ronald Reagan trying to destroy the country of Nicaragua, he went down and spent studio money, uh, paying locals uh, to produce his movie, um, playing locals to to pay local parts and to. Um, help build sets and perform in scenes and help perform special effects and build an expensive studio movie. It's 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 very expensive looking. Um, and feed all that money back into locals in in Nicaragua that desperately needed the money because they were being strangled by the American yoke. Then when he made um, he made his western, which I think is a lot. I haven't seen it, but it's it's not very well respected. The Joe he the Joe Strummer just, one that he made. I the Joe I mean the Strummer fact that one, the, the fact original. that I like Clash is my favorite band and I love Joe Strummer and I haven't seen the movie probably no literally no one likes it. The original story behind it is that they got a bunch of punk bands that all agreed to take a month off and go perform in Nicaragua, but they couldn't find a corporation that would back the bill because it costs so much money to like send all these bands to like set up and, and perform like punk bands in 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 Nicaragua. And all that kind of fell through and he's like, well, why don't we get money to make a movie where Joe Strummer plays a cowboy and a bunch of, you know, punk stalwarts and Elvis Costello play cowboys and they were able to make a movie out of it in Nicaragua yeah, straight, straight um, yeah. and, and support um, and support the local population. So like despite Alex Cox's latter day sins and his, his confusion, I, sh- I should say in a latter day um, gotta say he really said fuck you to Reagan in a way none of us ever. Would. No. Yeah. I mean, there's, we don't have time to get into it, but I do think like you can see why from this movie and a lot of those things, why Alex Cox and some of these like old punks who hated Reagan and you know capitalism ended up where they did. Like I see why that line exists, and I see how you can get there from from here. You know, he's not. It, it, it's like it, it's a little bit of a bummer. And again, I don't know that he may have like some some truly regressive views that I didn't see, but it seems more of like the overly conspiratorial minded stuff and like around uh, Pearl Harbor and COVID and and uh, 9-11 and stuff like that. Um, and like QAnon, the Alex Cox or not Alex, not, not the Alex Cox, stuff, definitely the Alex Cox stuff, because that's who he is. That's his name, Peter. Um, it the, the Alex Jones <laughs> stuff if it you know but i i didn't see anything about like you know uh like anti 
like anti-gay or anti like you know so it's it's a portion of that kind of like QAnon pilled adjacent nonsense that sometimes leads to some even worse stuff again i can see why i can see why he got there and there's, there's the good meme about like oh sure the cia did bad things in the 60s 70s 80s and and 2010s that they've admitted to and no one's ever been prosecuted and they haven't changed anything but now they're not doing anything bad like you know there there is that in in you don't need to be conspiratorial to to think stuff like that too so again some of it is is i obviously wish you didn't have some of those beliefs, but it doesn't seem like he's like as odious as like a Glenn Greenwald as a heel heel turn from that perspective. But but yeah, uh, Peter, I think we like uh, talking about fuck fucking how much we fucking hate uh, Ronald Reagan too much. Uh, but next week we gotta we're gonna go across the pond, Milady. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a whole week to figure it out, man. Um, I'm excited to hear what comes out of the comes out of your your, your accent laboratory. There's uh, there's nothing more. <laughs> uh, I think if I was to, to describe my sense of humor, there's nothing more weirdly satisfying than getting the accents not just bad but wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that aligns in some sort of comedy bible. But uh, for some reason, that is the funniest thing in the world to me. Um, Yeah, we're doing Brazil. And I don't – we're definitely going to, like, watch the, like, Gilliam cut. And one thing that's so great about doing Brazil, a movie that I've literally been – loved, considered one of my favorite movies since I was 17, is that now that we're doing it in the year of our Lord 2022, according to the Julian calendar, Terry Gilliam's the fucking worst. And we're probably going to have to talk about that. But I don't know if I'm going to – I don't know if we're going to talk about the love – Conquers all version. If I have time, I might try to watch it. But I'm—I've actually never seen it. I've—I've seen—I've never seen it because by the time that I was able to see the movie, yeah. it was—I uh, was—I was watching it on Sundance Channel, and Sundance Channel was specifically like fuck that cut. Yeah, I. Um, I so like when I was in high school, they had that three disc Criterion DVD set, and it, which was like sixty dollars, which was a lot of money because I was making five five seventy five at the grocery store, or whatever. But I eventually saved up and bought it. And I watched the director's cut. I watched the theatrical cut. Like, minor differences, but essentially the same thing. Like, there's an extended version that you, you don't really need to watch. And then I watched, like, there's a two-hour documentary about making it that I've watched a few times. But that I never – that talks a lot about the Love Conquers All version. But I never actually watched it. Uh, and then I, I upgraded to a Blu-ray a, a few years ago for it. So I might try – I might try to, to watch it if I, if I feel like I have the time. The problem is Brazil's a long movie. And I don't know if it's more interesting to just see the scenes and talk about what it is and actually watch the Love Conquers All version. But, I mean, we're also doing it for the podcast and maybe I'll maybe I'll finally get around to it. No promises. But I am I am really excited that that movie has, I think, uh, the movie is fantastic on its own, but I think also is one of the most interesting to talk about from a like movie existing standpoint. The background behind yeah. the movie is is fascinating very pumped to talk about that yeah. uh not so pumped to have to admit that terry gilliam is kind of a, a very talented yeah, asshole. yeah terry gilliam is, is is an alex cox but but way worse 
Uh, it's it's more troubling, I think, because Alex Cox has made like one movie, maybe oh, yeah. two that I like truly, truly love. Um, Terry Gilliam is like la- interlaced in many things that I I truly adore. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I he is the he's the when I said like, hey, Alex Cox, he's got some troubling opinions, but he's not the worst. Uh, now we are going to talk about someone who has evolved into more and more troubling opinions and is and is absolutely the worst. And you're right, has made some 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 fucking movies. I absolutely, absolutely love. But yeah, he's a poo poo dunderhead. Yeah, why can't see we didn't talk enough about it, how John like part of the reason like John Carpenter is so easy to love is not only did he make great like movies that are like fuck Ronald Reagan, stuff like that, but he has only gotten more lovable with age. Like he he his 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 politics are good. He's very, very funny. Um he just likes playing Sonic and Borderlands and still hates capitalism and that's It's it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, to see uh, John Carpenter uh, talk about um, how much he loves video games, um, and whenever, pe- whenever people are like, "You can make a movie," it just would be like a lot of work, and you'd have a quarter of the budget of your last movie. He's like, "So they're putting out a DLC for Borderlands in like a month. I could do that instead." Sure, is the movie going to be called Tina Tino's Wonderland? Because I am booked up. <laughs> uh, do you think he's a little offended that they're making a Borderlands movie without him? Probably not. It sounds like a lot of work. Probably not. He's probably like, that seems a lot like of work. a lot of work. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Have fun, Eli Roth. <laughs> All right. Well, so next week, things are going to get a little weird down under in the land of England. Good night. Good night. Sometimes I try to do things, and it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. And I get real frustrated. They're like... I try hard to do it, and I like take my time, but it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. It's like I concentrate on real hard, but it just doesn't work out. And everything I do and everything I try, it never turns out. It's like I need time to figure these things out. There's always someone there going, hey Mike, you know, we've been noticing you've been having a lot of problems lately, you know? You maybe get away. And like, maybe you should talk about it, you'll feel a lot better. And I go, no, it's okay, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out, you know? I'm just working on myself. They go, well, you know, if you want to talk about it, I'll be here, you know? And you'll probably feel a lot better if you talk about it. So why don't you talk about it? I go, no, I don't want to. I'm okay. I'll figure it out myself. But they just keep bugging me. They just keep bugging me. There's pills on the side. It's got me. It's too slow. So come on, pray with one night. You will not have anything. I'm pray with you. Just get away. I'm not drinking. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, if you can't, <laughs> uh, if 
if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand, and you want to support the show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help, and so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron